Psalm 18, a lengthy psalm. You'll also notice kind of a lengthy title. And the title is important, so let's look at that. You'll notice that it is to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed. Hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the forward thou wilt show thyself forward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. 
for thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hind's feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet." For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. I did cast them out as the dirt in the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen, a people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The stranger shall submit themselves unto me. The stranger shall fade away and be afraid out of, out of their close places. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. Amen. We'll end our reading at the end of the psalm, and we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I think if you could take a verse out of the psalm and call it a key verse, uh, the very last verse. I think fits that bill. Look at what it says in verse 50. Great deliverance giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed forevermore. There are some commentators, well actually, I think most commentators, perhaps all orthodox commentators would label this psalm as a messianic psalm which means there is much in it that points us to Christ. Christ is the greater David. And so when you have a psalm that is classified as a messianic psalm, there will be times when you may 
perceived the voice of David in things that pertain to David. There may be other instances in the course of that psalm when you perceive things that can only be said of Christ. And the thing that I find striking here in the last verse is when it says, Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed. When you look at the seed of David, especially when you consider uh, the greater David, and look then to the seed of Christ, then you can say, here is a psalm then that pertains to me and to you as part of that spiritual seed of David. So again, verse 50, great deliverance giveth he to his king. And even though this psalm appears early in the Psalter, relatively speaking, Psalm 18, there are 150 psalms, so relatively speaking, this is an early psalm in the Psalter. The title makes it clear that this psalm was, however, written near the end of David's life. We're not given the psalms here in chronological order. They don't appear that way in the Psalter. And I can say this, that this is David near the end of his life. I can say it with some measure of certainty because this psalm also appears in nearly the exact same words in 2 Samuel chapter 22, which in the historical narrative is near the end of David's life. Indeed, 2 Samuel 23 begins with these words. Now, these be the last words of David. So it's pretty easy to gather then from 2 Samuel 22 that this is David in his advanced years. So with that setting in mind, look again at the title to Psalm 18, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. David wrote these words then following his deliverance from all his enemies. And his enemies were many over the course of his lifetime. The Philistines were his enemies. The Moabites were his enemies. The Syrians were his enemies. And of course, Saul himself was his enemy. For for a brief time, the house of Saul, under the influence of Abner, was against him until David eventually prevailed over Saul's house. And there would be other times when members of his own household would rise up against him and become his enemy. It's no wonder then that David could say in our text, great deliverance giveth he to his king. And the greatness of David's deliverance can certainly be measured in terms of how many times the Lord delivered him from very foreboding circumstances. So now toward the end of his days in this world, he sees fit to remember the greatness of his deliverance and how good the Lord has been to him 
even though he had faced many battles and many challenges, and in his remembrance of the Lord's power and mercies, he sees fit to pen the words of this 18th Psalm. It's always a good thing, you know, to pause and reflect on the Lord's great deliverance. We'll be coming up in the not-too-distant future to what I mark as one of my favorite holidays, Thanksgiving time. Certainly a good time to reflect on the Lord's deliverances, the Lord's mercy. And we can and we should think of our deliverance not only in terms of our salvation initially, and that was certainly a great deliverance, but we should think of the Lord's deliverances in terms of how he's ordered our steps and how he's protected us and how he's provided for us. And he's done this at times when the circumstances of life seemed desperate and we were tempted to despair. The thing I want you to see about this psalm is how the very fact that it also appears in the historical book of 2 Samuel, that tells you something about David. It tells you that in the midst of his battles, and all his struggles, and his busyness as the king of Israel, the man still had a devotional life. He took time to commune with God. He took time to think upon his God, his maker, his deliverer, his rock. And he took adequate time to enable him to take his prayers and his meditations and compose them into songs. Notice how the title tells you of David that he spake unto the Lord the words of this song. So here's a man who could speak to the Lord and convert it to a psalm. The man was obviously very gifted. And I'm not now suggesting that we as Christians all need to become composers of psalms in order to advance our devotional lives. Although nothing wrong with that, should you decide to take up that practice. But what I am saying now is that we do need to improve our devotional lives. And one major practice we can and should engage in to help us improve our devotional lives is the practice of reflection or meditation, thinking on the Lord thinking how great he is, thinking how great his deliverances are. This, perhaps more than anything, is what made David a man after God's own heart. Let's look then, not merely at the psalm itself, but at the example of David in the setting forth of this psalm. And by looking at David's example, we'll learn the benefits of remembering God's deliverances. The benefits of remembering God's deliverances. That's my theme, okay? The benefits of remembering God's deliverance. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, our text says. Let's think first of all on remembering God's deliverance reminds you that God is great. 
remembering his deliverance, reminds you that he is great. We need that reminder, don't we? Ironic that we are prone to forget it. You might say that the first three verses of this psalm uh, present to us the theology of the psalm. Look again with, with me, if you would, if you have your Bibles open. Look at the first three verses, Psalm 18. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. There is an emphasis throughout this psalm on the topic of deliverance. The song pertains to the day that the Lord had delivered David from all his enemies and from Saul in particular, Saul who pursued him so vigorously and for probably a greater period of time than any of his enemies. The song pertains to deliverance, and in verse 3, David anticipates God to be his deliverer. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies, he says there. Look at some of the other references in this psalm to the idea of deliverance. Verse 17, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Verse 19, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Verse 43, thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me head of the heathen, a people whom I have not known shall serve me. And again in verse 48, He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Multiple deliverances then. From strong enemies, from strivings, from violent men. Oh, this is salvation. You and I, you know, can say the same thing spiritually. We've had many deliverances. Deliverances from the guilt of sin. Deliverance from sin's dominion. Deliverance from this present evil world. Deliverance from Satan's bondage. Deliverance from the bondage of the fear of death. I'm reminded of a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul writes, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. <clears throat> so our God is our deliverer. Well, might we call Christ our deliverer? And the benefit to remembering the greatness of our deliverances is that we magnify God in our remembrance and we're led to humble praise and thanksgiving through those memories. There was a time in David's life, you know, when he lost sight of the greatness of God as his deliverer. 
Back in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1, after he had been delivered for the second time out of the hand of Saul, he should have focused on God as his deliverer then. But instead, the things he could see with the carnal eye captured his fears. And so we read in that verse, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more and any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. Oh, David sure could have used a time of spiritual reflection at that moment. His reasoning should have been, Saul's never going to get me. Every time he tries, the Lord delivers him into my hand, and I have it in my power to take his life if I would so choose. But he didn't uh, allow his spiritual eyes to see. His carnal eyes got the best of him. And he walked by sight rather than faith, and so his fears overtook him. And so will fears overtake us if we neglect the practice of remembering our deliverance. But would you notice something else that is emphasized in these opening verses of the psalm? Not only does David recognize the greatness of God by his deliverances, but he also recognizes that this God is his God. And this point, too, is emphasized. Notice in verse 2 how the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I'm reminded of the refrain from a hymn in our hymn book. The title of the hymn captures the theme, I am his and he is mine. The last stanza in that hymn goes like this. His, forever only his, who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, with what a rest of bliss Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. I'm reminded of the same kind of emphasis in that well-known 23rd Psalm. Everything in that Psalm is based on the opening line of the Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. It's because the Lord is my shepherd that I'll not want. It's because he's my shepherd that he'll lead me into green pastures beside still waters. Because he's my shepherd, he'll restore me and he'll be with me and he'll anoint me with oil and prepare a table before me in the midst of mine enemies. All of this traceable to the glorious fact that the Lord is my shepherd. This is certainly a great thing to reflect upon, how the Lord is your God and how Christ is your shepherd. He's your rock and fortress. He's your deliverer. He's your shield and your high tower and refuge and savior. 
And these are things worth thinking upon, worth remembering and reflecting upon. These are things that we glory in, and such spiritual reflection could go a long way in consoling you and strengthening you for the challenges that you face in this present evil world. So, remembering our great deliverance reminds us that God is great, and that God is near, and that God is ours through Christ. Would you think with me next how remembering our great deliverance also reminds us that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Notice the words of verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. David is saying here, in effect, I will call because I have called in days gone by. And beginning in verse 4, he reflects on how he's called and, how, and on how the Lord has answered. And it's especially in this section of the psalm that he speaks spiritually and he speaks vividly. His reflection leads him to remember, verse 4, the sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Now, it's hard to know just what exactly David would be referring to historically in these verses. Could it be the time when he was nearly trapped in the city of Kailah, a city he and his men had rescued from the Philistines, who were going to turn him over to Saul once Saul and his army converged upon the city? Or would it have been that time when David and his men were on one side of the mountain and Saul and his men were on the other side of that same mountain? And just as Saul and his army were about to encompass David, Saul received word that the Philistines had invaded in another part of the land, so he was distracted from pursuing David. Or perhaps he was reflecting on more recent events when his rebellious son Absalom converged upon the city of Jerusalem with an army that was prepared, while David was totally unprepared and barely had time to escape from the city. David could be referring to any of these events, or he could be referring to all of them. The point is he's speaking spiritually and he's seeing the unseen things that providentially surrounded him during such dire circumstances. In a sense, you might say he's viewing things with his eyes opened the way Elisha's servant had his eyes opened in that passage we read earlier from 2 Kings chapter 6 when he was able to see that there was an army of angels surrounding them that was larger than the Syrian army, which was there to apprehend them. Look at the spiritual things that David saw, beginning in verse 7. 
And this is where the psalm, you could say, becomes most vivid. You might say it becomes apocalyptic. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. The foundations of the heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. Oh, here is God. He's heard David's cry of distress and he moves heaven and earth in order to respond to the cry of his servant. Verse 10 and following. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. Oh, David is seeing unseen things here, isn't he? And so we find God now acting on behalf of David. He moves against David's enemies. Verse 14, Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. Now here's the thing when we read these verses. We don't really have anything in the historical narrative that aligns with this kind of language, do we? You might refer, I suppose, to 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's especially interesting to note the words of verse 20, which reference the Philistines when you read, And David came to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore recalled the name of that place, Baal-perazim. And in the following verses, you read of the Philistines invading the land yet again. And this time the Lord directs David into a different kind of maneuver and tells him to wait until he hears the sound in the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. Second Samuel 5 and verse 24. The language of our psalm, however, is even more vivid and more apocalyptic than that. For in this psalm you see the Lord sending out arrows and lightning bolts, as it were, and you see the very earth itself rent to its foundation. And the point that needs to be stressed, and I think this is the intention behind David's language, the vividness of all these descriptions serves to show clearly and fully the loyalty of God to David. 
Now you may read this vivid description of that loyalty and say to yourself, well, that's wonderful. God was certainly loyal to David. God would move heaven and earth to come to the rescue of David. But is God really that loyal to me? And at once the words of Paul in Romans 8 come to mind. What shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. And to convince us that the loyalty factor is exactly the same, Paul then directs our minds and our thoughts to something even more convincing than the apocalyptic scene of David in Psalm 18. Paul points us to Christ. He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8, 32. Here at the cross where God spared not his son, here is where you see God coming to your rescue. Here is where you see the heavens rent and the wrath of God unleashed and the foundations of the world exposed, so to speak. God unleashing his wrath and all that comes between the sinner and God. Can it not be said of you regarding your salvation, what David says in his psalm, beginning in verse 16, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Oh, the Lord has come to your rescue. If you're here this morning as a Christian, the Lord has moved heaven and earth to save your soul. The Lord has heard your cry and has shown you the greatness of his salvation, and he remains loyal to you. He continues to hear you out of his holy temple. And the impact of such a spiritual reflection should be to instill in your soul such a renewed vitality that you can say what David says in verse 29. And I love the vividness of this. Picture this. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. You ever felt that kind of spiritual vitality? Oh, here's my enemies in front of me. I can run right through them. Here is a wall that I couldn't even scale. I can simply leap over it. Such is the vitality that grips my soul when I perceive that this God is my God and that he's loyal to me. And in that renewed vitality, you will ask what David asks in verse 31 for who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? The benefits to remembering our great deliverance then become plain. Spiritual reflection reminds us of the greatness of our God, and it reminds us that God answers prayer. Could we think finally for a moment on how remembering our great deliverance leads us to the gospel of Christ. Remembering our great deliverance leads us to the gospel of Christ. There's a rather 
strange section in this psalm that begins in verse 20. Maybe you found it somewhat puzzling when we read it earlier. On the surface of it, it seems to run contrary to everything we know about the gospel and everything we know about ourselves. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. You know, when I read words like that, I find it very striking that this psalm is also found in the same book that gives us so much of the life of David, that being 2 Samuel. This psalm found in 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel is the same book that tells us how God, or how David took another man's wife, got her pregnant, tried to cover up the sin by getting the lady's husband drunk, and when that failed, he arranged to have the lady's husband murdered. This is the book that gives us the account of one of David's sons taking advantage of his half-sister, and when David does little or nothing about it, one of his other sons then avenges his sister and then has to flee. How can such words as what we find in the portion of the psalm be found in the same book that gives us such accounts of David's sin? One might be tempted to say, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Are you kidding me, David? Is this really you speaking, David? The words seem like the epitome of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Until you learn to view the words covenantally. It's David, you see, that Paul draws from in Romans 4 when he writes in verse 6 of that chapter, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Paul gives us an interpretation of David's words from Psalm 32 that magnifies the blessing of God. Not only, you see, does the Lord not impute sin, according to that verse, but indeed, the Lord imputes righteousness. So just as David can say of the Lord in the earlier verses of this psalm, that he is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my shield, my high tower, so can we interpret him through the gospel as indicating now in verse 20 that the Lord is also my righteousness. This is the very title assigned to the Lord in Jeremiah 23 and verse 6. 
In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. And this righteousness, by God's grace, did, did become David's righteousness, just as the righteousness of Christ becomes your righteousness and my righteousness. And since we're on the subject this morning of spiritual reflections, could I suggest to you that a great way to read and apply these seemingly strange verses that begin in verse 20 is to read them with a view to the greater David that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it can be said of Christ alone, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. Who can say that outside of the greater David? Christ himself. It's true of Christ. He was sinless. He could say, For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. Verse 24, Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. This becomes the basis for the loyalty of, that we considered in the previous point. This is why the Lord will hear you out of his holy temple. This is why the Lord will move heaven and earth to come to your aid. This is why the Lord's loyalty to you will be sure and steadfast. It's because Christ has earned the reward and Christ has paid your debt. And by virtue of your union to Christ, God sees you in him and is as loyal to you as he is to Christ. I'm really glad that this 18th Psalm also appears in 2 Samuel 22, as well as the Psalter. I think it's meant to be considered in the broader context of David's life. There's so much in David, you know, I can relate to in terms of his sins and his failures. But I can also relate to him in this respect, that like him, to use the words of the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What a great psalm then to read and reflect upon. And what a great exercise to engage in, remembering our great deliverance. In that remembrance, we're reminded of the greatness of our God. We're reminded of the truth that he answers prayer. We're reminded that the gospel provides us with the basis for our confidence in him. There's one fairly significant difference between Psalm 18 in the psalm in 1 Samuel 22, or 2 Samuel 22. Psalm 18 begins with a firm re resolution, which is where this psalm should take us. 
When you remember your great deliverance, in other words, it should lead you to resolve in the words of verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Oh, may we indeed find our resolution strengthened that way as we contemplate the greatness of God's deliverances. Let's close then in prayer. Let's all pray. As we bow in prayer, we'll have no closing hymn. Uh, Amanda, I take it, is probably in the nursery. So, that's good. We'll follow the usual practice. We used to go through this every time, every Sunday at Faith Free. I think Dr. Cairns always announced, there'll be no closing hymn, uh, my time is gone. Which meant he felt a certain awareness, I guess, that he had preached long. Well, um, am I feeling that? Nah. <laughs> but at any rate, let's close in prayer and in benediction. Let's all pray. O oh Lord, as we bow now in thy presence, we thank you for thy word. We thank you for the spiritual truths that are reflected at times in such vivid language to convey such glorious truth to our souls. We thank thee, Lord, that Christ is with us, that Christ is for us, that nothing can ever separate us from his love. We thank thee, Lord Jesus, for paying our debt. We thank thee for thy righteous life. We thank thee for earning that righteousness which is then freely given to us when we see our need for it and call upon thee for it. Lord, we thank thee for the glories of the gospel. We ask, O oh Lord, that thou wilt help us not to take these things for granted, but may we instead spend much time thinking on these glorious truths so that we do gain the kind of vitality that will enable us to run through a troop and leap over a wall. So Lord, hear our prayers and grant that our resolve will be greatly strengthened to love thee with all of our hearts. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In Christ's name, amen.